0: Well, good morning. It is so good seeing all of you guys. Uh, if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead, and we're going to be in, in 2 Timothy. I know it's kind of weird saying 2 Timothy, because for the last 29 weeks, we were saying 1 Corinthians, so we're in 2 Timothy. Uh, so go ahead and grab your Bibles, and let me, uh, let me pray for us before we read it. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, so much for today. Thank you for your incredible mercy and grace, Lord. How amazing it is that this chasm this that has separated us between between us and you father that you initiated and sending your son and tearing down that dividing wall paying for our sins in full so that we can be declared righteous and be reconciled to you as once we were enemies and now we are your children. Lord, may these truths that we proclaim about the gospel, Lord, help us not just to regurgitate these truths, but may it set deep root in our hearts. May we realize the the profoundness of these truths, Lord. May it stir in us the affections, and may we realize what an incredible gift that you have given us, Lord. And may we take this gift of salvation that you've so freely given to us, may we exercise it, may we utilize it for your glory. And Lord, I pray that as we get to your word, can you reveal truth to us? Can you open up our eyes, our ears, our hearts, and our minds, Lord, and help us to understand? May your spirit uh, illuminate truth to us, Lord. And Lord, you know each and every one of us. You know what we're going through. You know our struggles and our insecurities and our fears, Lord. So can you um, just meet us where we are? Can you encourage our hearts? If there's any sin that we need to confess, can you help us to confess it? Can you convict us? And can you speak to us now, Lord? We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we're starting our new series through the book of 2 Timothy, um, here's kind of the reason why we picked uh, the book of 2 Timothy. Um, It's often said that we are one generation away from losing the gospel. And so what I mean by that is if the gospel is simply assumed in one generation, when I say simply assume it, it's kind of like this idea of, well, everybody knows the gospel. We're really not going to talk about it because everybody is familiar with it. Everybody knows it. Um, there's no point of us to kind of hash it out more because we're just assuming everybody knows that Jesus loves them. Jesus has wonderful plan for them and that Jesus just died for them. And so if we assume the gospel, we pay little attention to it, we don't actively teach it, then eventually what begins to happen is we begin to neglect it and ignore it. And the chances is that if we do that, the next generation will completely abandon the gospel and want nothing to do with Jesus. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, you're like, that's kind of harsh. Like, really, I don't see that. But the reality of it is we see it in Scripture, uh, like, like, it's true for the nation of Israel. For example, in Judges chapter 2, verses 8 to 10, this is what it says. Joshua, son of Nun, everybody knows him. He was the follower of Moses. He followed up with Moses. So Moses received the law. Joshua was on the mountain with Moses, receiving all these things, a great leader that led the people into the promised land. Okay? So Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, he died at the age of 110. They buried him in the territory of his inheritance in Timnah Heres in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. Great guy. Great generation. And then it says, the whole generation was also gathered to their ancestors. So if you think about this generation, it's not been very long since they received the law. They were kind of babies when the law was revealed to them. They were babies when they were taken out of Egypt. They saw all the, the mighty works of God. And this is, verse 10 says this, And after them a generation arose who did not know the Lord or the works that he had done for Israel. Now you're thinking, like, like how in the world did that happen? How can the generation of next to Joshua all of a sudden have no idea of God's law, have no idea of all the wonderful works that God has done. He just recently did it. It's not that long ago. Like, what happened? I can tell you what happened. They just assumed that their kids knew it. They just assumed that their kids knew the law. They just assumed that the kids knew the stories about how God has delivered them. They didn't really pay attention to these stories and to the law. And just by assuming it, not paying attention, not guarding it, not teaching it, all of a sudden they came up with a generation who had no idea about God's law or the incredible work that God has done. One generation away. And this is the point that I'm trying to make. This is the reason for our series. We're one generation away from losing the gospel. And this is why it's so important for us if that is true that we must guard the gospel, we must suffer for the gospel, we must continue in the gospel, and we must proclaim the gospel. And so that's my hope for us in this series, is that we're going to discover what the gospel is, the importance of the gospel, and how the gospel gives us hope, not just in our present life, but also in the future. And this is why we're going to go uh, through 2 Timothy. Now, if you've been with us for a while, or you're in part of our life groups, you know that anytime we open up a new book of the Bible, we study a letter, what do we have to do? We have to do a little bit of Background information we need to know of who wrote this letter, who did he write this letter to? what was the cultural context and the surroundings, the reason and the purpose of this letter? and so a couple of helpful uh, information for us before we look at the introduction text is this Second Timothy and second Timothy Paul he's more focused on the personal ministry of Timothy rather than just writing an ordering of a church. So, so in other words, Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. He's not writing this letter to a church, but to an individual, to a pastor of the church of Ephesus. Now, according to tradition, historical tradition, uh, the, 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 the context of the, what was happening while Paul was writing this letter uh, is they, they're saying that Paul, as he wrote the second letter to Timothy, is in an underground chamber in a Roman prison. So in other words, based on the end of 2 Timothy, and we're going to see it when we come to the end of the book, it seems like Paul has already received his, his court hearing, and now he is expected to be executed soon. So in other words, he's went to court. The, the, the death sentence has been proclaimed over him. And now he finds himself in jail just simply waiting for his execution to be ordered. And even though Paul mentions that Luke is with him, we find out that Paul kind of paints this picture at the end of 2 Timothy, that he is cold and that he's all alone, that he is waiting for his death. And so he asked Timothy at the end of this letter, please come and see me, please bring my cloak, bring my scribes, especially my portions. And more than that, not only do I want my cloak and my scribes, I want to see you most of all before I die. So when we read now this letter, and we know what's going on, Paul's waiting to be executed. We kind of read the words that he is saying with a sense of urgency and passion as he's pleading with Timothy. And so not only is this letter deeply personal, this is like the last letter he would write to his beloved son, but also this letter is deeply theological and deeply practical. It is saturated with the gospel content and show us how the gospel should impact our lives. And I find it fascinating that out out of all the instructions and all the last things he would give to his beloved son, Like think about this, you're on your deathbed, you're waiting to die, and you have one shot to speak to your child. Out of all the instructions, of all the things he would tell Timothy, what he is going to focus on to Timothy is proclaiming the gospel to him. Now if you don't know the Bible, like, like I know in 1 Timothy it tells us that he is young, but some time have passed. Timothy is not some young whippersnapper, like Timothy is a pastor of the church of Ephesus. So it's not like he did not know the gospel. He's been pastoring for quite some time, and yet despite that, Paul still finds it necessary that in his last letter written to his beloved son, he is reminding him of the truth's of the gospel and because this gospel theme is so dominant in this letter here's an outline so i don't know about you but what helps me when i study a book of the bible is to kind of come up with an outline it kind of helps me to break things up easy so what i'm going to do is for our series i'm going to give you the whole outline of of uh second timothy okay So if you're taking notes in chapter 1, we're really going to see this outline of of Paul instructing Timothy to guard the gospel. That's the first one, to guard the gospel. That's chapter 1. Chapter 2, he's going to tell Timothy he must suffer for the gospel. Suffer for the gospel. Chapter 3, he's going to remind Timothy to continue in the gospel. Don't move outside of it, but rather continue in it. And then the last chapter, chapter 4, he's going to pro- tell him to continue to proclaim the gospel. So chapter 1, guard the gospel. Chapter 2, suffer for the gospel. Chapter 3, continue in the gospel. And chapter 4, proclaim the gospel. So that's the outline. So literally, it's all about the gospel. So today... We're going to sh- we're going to show you the introduction and then next week you're going to really see this theme of of guarding the gospel as we wrap up chapter one so let's look at our introduction text in second timothy uh, chapter one verse one it says this paul an apostle of christ jesus by god's will for the sake of the promise of life in christ jesus to timothy my dearly loved son grace mercy and peace from god the father and christ jesus our lord okay so so right here in the introduction letter we we find out who exactly wrote the letter paul wrote that letter and who's the recipient of the letter timothy is the recipient of this letter and what does he call timothy he calls timothy his beloved son now i don't know about you and i could be wrong and maybe i'm adding into the text but i find it really interesting that Paul, who calls Timothy his beloved son, gives him a formal introduction. Like, to me, that's kind of weird. It's like me writing to my children. My dearest daughter, this is your father who has conceived you and your mother who has given birth to you. It's like my daughter will turn around and say, yes, dad, I know that. You don't have to remind me of that. Like, like, like you know, like, that's kind of weird. Like, like, what is the formal, formality of all of this? Unless... In this apparent formal greeting, what is Paul trying to do? Maybe Paul is trying to remind Timothy of some certain truths and to encourage Timothy of these truths. Now, as we look at this formal greeting, and maybe it's not a formal greeting, maybe there's certain truths that Paul's trying to communicate in this greeting of himself, meant to encourage Timothy. Here's the very first thing we, we learn in this formal greeting or this encouragement that Paul is giving Timothy. The first thing is, notice the calling of Paul. What's the calling of Paul? Paul is an apostle of Christ Jesus. In other words, by Paul claiming to be an apostle, he's putting himself in the same camp as the other 12 disciples. Like, what does it mean to be an apostle? What it's meant to be an apostle is somebody who has seen Jesus, walked walked with Jesus, learned from Jesus, and was commissioned by Jesus himself. This is why there's no apostles today. There's only 12 or maybe 13. That's under debate, okay? But it's those who have seen Jesus walked with Jesus, learned from Jesus, and was commissioned by Jesus. Now, Paul, he's unusual. He's kind of later on, and so he even calls himself least of the apostles. But yet, nevertheless, Paul was, has seen Jesus, learned from Jesus, and was ultimately commissioned by Jesus to proclaim the gospel among the Gentiles. So, Paul reminds Timothy, Of his personal calling. And again, I think it's meant to encourage Timothy. Notice the origin of Paul's calling. Who called Paul to be an apostle? It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will. In other words, the origin of Paul's calling wasn't Paul himself, he didn't fill out a job application. He didn't climb the corporate ladder and and went to the apostle school and did his five years of seminary degree. No, it's actually the opposite. He was trying to eradicate the followers of Jesus. And yet, according to God's will, called him to be an apostle. And we'll even see at verse 11, skip over to verse 11, which we'll talk about next week. It says this, for this gospel, I was appointed a herald Apostle and teacher. In other words, the origin of Paul's calling, he was appointed by God's will. So his calling to be an apostle according to God's will. And what was the purpose of that calling? Look at the purpose of his calling. For the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. Now that's, that's kind of a, not a normal phrase here, but basically what that phrase means is that he was commissioned to proclaim the gospel. So why does he say according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus and not just say according to the gospel? Again, and the reason why I think that is Paul's in jail. What's waiting for Paul? Death. Like death is waiting for him. And what's encouraging Paul right now? The wait for death? No, the promise of life in Jesus Christ because what's at the heart of the gospel is the person of Jesus Christ who himself is the way, the truth, and the life. And because of his work on the cross now has provided life for all of those who are in Christ Jesus. And Paul says, that is what's giving me hope right now when I find myself in jail waiting for execution. And that is my mission right now to proclaim this life that I have received in Christ, to proclaim this life for other people, because only life can be found in Christ Jesus. And he'll even remind him of this truth. Look at verse 10. It says this, 2 Timothy 1 verse 10. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This whole theme of life is huge now in Paul's life. Why? <laughs> because death is waiting for him. But he knows that death is not his end, but rather life, eternal life, is waiting for him on the other side of death. So, how's Paul talking about his own calling? How's that supposed to encourage Timothy? I think here's what's going on. As Paul is briefly reminding Timothy of his own personal calling, he is now gonna turn it onto Timothy and remind Timothy of his calling, okay? let's, Let's look at verse two again, and then just we're gonna read the rest all the way through verse seven and unpack it, and I wanna show you the calling. Verse 2 says, To Timothy, my dearly loved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I constantly remember you and my prayers night and day, remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother, Louis, and in your mother, Eunice, and now I'm convinced is also in you. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. So so Paul is reminding Timothy of his own calling by really mentioning three means of grace that the Lord has used to call him and transform. But before we look at these three means of grace that the Lord has used to call Timothy and transform Timothy, like I want us to kind of focus a little bit of Timothy and what's going on in his life. Now, the reason why I think Paul is, is reminding them of his calling, because it seems like even from this little passage that Timothy is pastoring in the church, and it seems like Timothy is struggling. You know, like, how do we know Timothy is struggling? Well, look at verse three. Paul says, I am remembering your tears. He's crying. Why? I don't think it's tears of joy. I think it's tears of sadness, tears of anguish, tears of struggling. Verse 7, we see, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. Maybe Timothy is struggling in fear. And he's reminding Timothy, look, this is not from the Lord here. Now, we don't know exactly what he struggled with. We can only speculate. But what we do know for a fact is it does seem like Timothy is struggling. He's struggling in ministry. He's struggling in life. For whatever reason, this man is struggling, and Paul wants to encourage him. And he starts to encourage him by reminding him of his own calling. And he says, look at the, the three means of grace that the Lord has called you. Here's the first means of grace. It's not in your notes, but if you want to take notes, you can. The first one is a spiritual father, okay? So the first means of grace that the Lord has used to call Timothy, to invest in Timothy's life, and to really to, to help transform his life was a spiritual father. And who's his spiritual father? Paul, Like we don't know about his earthly father, a Gentile man. We know nothing about. But we do know that Paul's relationship with Timothy was like that of a father son. He, he calls Timothy his beloved son, which means Paul was his spiritual father. Now you're like, how long has this relationship been lasting? R- real quick here. So, so Paul met Timothy in his second visit to Lystra, uh, Timothy grew up in the Lystra area, and the second time that Paul came around, there was this church that really spoke highly of Timothy. They're like, Paul, you need to meet this young man, Timothy. Man, he's on fire for the Lord. He's just so mature in his faith, and he's so filled with wisdom. And when Paul met him, Paul was so impressed with him that he tells Timothy, hey, why don't you join me and Silas on our missionary journey? And that was around A.D. uh, 50, okay? So now, by the time that Paul's writing this letter in 2 Timothy, it's more or less around 8067. So you do the math about 15 to 17 years of this relationship between Paul, the spiritual father, and Timothy, his spiritual son. And so Paul views Timothy as his own spiritual child, which means Paul knows him. Paul has invested in him and Paul's reminding him hey Timothy you're loved I love you I'm I'm your father I love you not only do I love you but also God loves you God who has given you his grace who has given you his mercy and who's given you peace all of this is in Christ Jesus And then he says, he reminds Timothy of, yeah, I'm always remembering you in my prayers day and night. And as a father who misses his child, he remembers his child's struggles and he longs to see him. Now think about this. How encouraging is that? Let's say hypothetically you're struggling. I don't even have to say hypothetically. We're all struggling one way or another. In our struggle, how do we normally feel? We feel alone. We feel like nobody cares. Everybody has forgotten us. Everybody has abandoned us. Is that true? No. But that's what the enemy does. And you know what Paul is doing? He knows his son is struggling. And Paul, in a nice way, saying, hey, Timothy, you're not alone. Not only does God loves you, but you're my son. I love you. I've invested, we've walked a long time. You're not alone. I've got your back. I'm praying for you right now. I know your struggle. And day and night, I am remembering you in my prayers. Like how encouraging is that? How encouraging is that for you to know that in your struggles, there is a spiritual father or there might be even an earthly father or earthly mother that says, hey, I love you. I know your pain right now. You don't have to hide it. You don't have to pretend. You can come to me. I am praying for you. I am remembering you in my prayers day and night. That's what Paul is telling Timothy. The second means of grace to encourage Timothy and to remind him of his calling is not only did did Timothy have a spiritual father, but Timothy also had a godly mother. Look at verse 5. It says, I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother, Louis, and in your mother, Eunice. So not only did Timothy have the privilege of having a spiritual father, but he also had the gift of a godly mother and a gift of a godly grandmother, Eunice and Louis. And Paul is encouraging him and saying, that faith that existed in your mother and grandmother that you looked up to and you said, man, I wish I had that kind of faith. I wish I so trusted the Lord like them. Paul is saying, I see it in you. I am convinced. That is some strong words. I am convinced that it is in you. And again, think about it. When you're struggling and you feel all alone, what are some of the lies that cross your mind? I got weak faith. Maybe I'm not a Christian. Maybe I'm not really trusting Jesus enough because if I did, why am I in this place? And Paul is telling Timothy in a nice way, no, I am convinced of your sincere faith. The exact same thing that you saw in your mother and grandmother and you wish you had. I see it in you and I'm convinced of this because the Lord has called you. Don't be discouraged, but be encouraged by it. And then the last one is this, the gift of God. In verse six, he says, as he's convinced of this sincere faith that lives in Timothy, he says, therefore, was therefore. It's a transition word. In other words, pay attention to what happened in verse six. Now is the application of verse six. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God. In other words, God is the one who has called you. God is the one who has called you to himself. God is the one who has gifted you and has commissioned you. Now, now the question is, what's this gift? Um, I don't think we really know. I'm just going to take a job, and this is just my best educated gift. A guess, not gift. Best educated guess is notice that is the gift singular or Plural. Singular, so my best guess is the gift of salvation. I could be wrong and you can disagree with me and that's cool. But either way, God has given him a gift and he tells Timothy, I want you to rekindle it. I want you to keep this alive. I want you to be reminded that God is the one that has gifted and knowing the reality of God's power in the life of Timothy, he, he, the Greek word for keeping ablaze or a flame, rekindling this gift, he, he he describes this this gift as a fire that he needs to rekindle, that he needs to to keep alive. And then, and then he says, that is in you through the laying of my hands. So in other words, this gift is somehow associated with Paul with the laying of his hands. In other words, when that phrase is used, it's normally used, refer to an ordination or a commissioning. In other words, what Paul is saying, I have seen that the Lord has saved you. The Lord has set you apart. The Lord has called you to himself and now has set you apart to ministry. I have confirmed that with the laying of my hands. And what I want you to do is to rekindle this gift. And where's this gift from? It's from God. In other words, did Timothy earn it? Did Timothy work for it? No, God has freely given it. To him. So what's going on here? In this introduction of this letter, Paul is encouraging Timothy, who's somehow struggling. We don't know what he's struggling with, but what Paul is trying to do is he's trying to encourage him by reminding Timothy of the calling from God. Through the apostle who's a spiritual father, through his godly mother and grandmother, and the gift that was given to him, the spiritual power that Paul himself says, I can confirm it. And so, since Timothy has been called by God and has been entrusted by God with this ministry of proclaiming the gospel, of utilizing the gift that's been given to him, notice that his responsibility of exercising this gift. This is why Paul gives him two commands. The very first command is this develop and use this gift. God has gifted you with this gift. He has given you this salvation. He's given you this responsibility of proclaiming the gospel and ministering to people with the word of God. And what I want you to do is I want you to use this gift. And the Greek verb, uh, to fan or to flame, to rekindle, is in the present tense. In other words, what that means is it's continually emphasizing an ongoing action. You're like, what does it mean to rekindle or fan a flame the fire? Simple way, it means you've been given this gift, exercise it, use it. Do not sit on it. Keep it ablaze, keep it alive, make use of it. And again, here's what we have to understand. Fanning this flame requires work, effort, intentionality. But again, Timothy is not working to earn the gift. But Timothy has received the gift. And what is responsibility? To exercise that gift. That gift was freely given to him by God. And his responsibility is to use that gift that God has freely given him, exercise it, develop it. The second uh, command that Paul gives Timothy is this, is to maintain spiritual discipline. Maintain spiritual discipline. Look at verse 7. It says this. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. But one of power, love, and sound judgment. Paul reminds Timothy that his shyness, that his weakness, and his fear is not from God. But what comes from God is a spirit of love, power, and and discipline. Now, is the spirit, the Holy Spirit, was it his spirit, in other words, his attitude? I think both can be in view. And the reason why I say is because in verse 7, it's four, which is a transition word, and it points to verse 6, the gift that was given to him. And so if God is the originator of that gift, he is to exercise and maintain that gift. And also throughout Scripture, uh, Who gives us power? The Spirit. Who gives us love? It's a fruit of the the Spirit. So I think both can be in view. But in essence, what what Paul is directing Timothy to do is, is, is saying, essentially is saying, Timothy, if in your fear... Remember that God is with you. Remember that God is in you. That God is for you. That his spirit produces the power and the need to endure and to love in ministry. You have all that you need. Remain in it. Exercise it. Maintain it. Now, notice Paul is not just saying, hey, don't be afraid because Paul himself experienced fear. When, when Paul planted the, the, the church in Corinth, he, he experienced fear so much so that Jesus came to him in a vision. And Acts 18, verse 9 to 10 says, the Lord said to Paul in a night vision, don't be afraid, but keep on speaking. Don't be silent for I am with you and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you because I have many people in the city. In other words, the the Lord tells Paul, how do you fight fear? With the promise of God. And what's the promise that Jesus gives him? I am with you. And essentially what, what Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, I know you're fearful, but don't be paralyzed by that fear. But rather in your fear, remind yourself of the promises of God. He is the one that has called you. He is the one that has gifted you. And if he has called you and he's gifted you and he's given you all that you need. Then exercise it. Continue to maintain the self-discipline of looking to that gift that God has given you. Now, let's stop here and let's talk about application here. What does it have to do with us since we really just talked about Timothy? I think all of us can relate to Timothy in one way. Not all of us are in ministry, but I think all of us at some point are going through seasons where we're struggling. We go through seasons where we feel insecure. We go through seasons with many tears, with many sadness, wondering what in the world is happening. Has God abandoned me? Has God forsaken me? We know our enemy who creeps in and he feeds these lies and he says, did God really say that? Do you really think God would do that? There's something wrong with you. And so in a sense, all of us can relate to Timothy, regardless of what season you're in. And so how do we navigate through that season? What what can we learn from the text to encourage us when we find ourselves in a season where we're just struggling? Because if you're taking notes, I think here's the very first thing we can do. Remember your calling. Like, remember your calling. You're like, what do you mean by that? Okay, what I mean by that is remember how the Lord has saved you. Remember what the Lord has saved you from. Remember all the work that the Lord has done and how he's transformed your life. Remember all the people that the Lord has given you to help you in your life. Like I don't think sometimes we look around and we see people as means of grace, as gifts from God to help us, but they are. And so many times we forget it and we sit by ourselves and we think we are all alone. No one cares. And God's like, wake up, look around you. These people here are not in this room, but by accident, they are your family. They're your brothers. They're your sisters. They are the means of grace that God uses to encourage you and to strengthen you and to remind you and to help you when you find yourself in times of need. But in your struggles, Remember how the Lord has saved you. One of, in the training program, one of the exercises that we do is I ask all of our leaders, I want them to write down their story. They haven't done it yet this year. They should do it in the next couple of weeks, which is everybody thinks, oh, that's an easy exercise. And the leaders that gone through it realized it really is a difficult exercise. But here's an exercise that would do all of you well. Write down your story of how the Lord has called you. You're like, what do I include in that story? Who you were before you met Christ, what sin you were enslaved in and how Christ started revealing truth to you and opening up your eyes and how the spirit has convicted you and how he has transformed you. Where now you look back and you're like, oh my goodness, that's who I was. Look at God's incredible grace and mercy in in my life. And the reason why I want my leaders to write that down is not so that only they can share it and clearly articulate the gospel through their story, but when they find themselves in difficult times, they can look back and say, oh, remember what God has done. Remember how the Lord has called me. I wasn't looking for him. I was rebelling against him. I wanted nothing to do with him. And God, in his own mercy, convicted me of sin. Open up my eyes. He brought me this brother, Tim, who gave me a question. And I thought this question was ridiculous. But then all of a sudden, this question just haunted me throughout the night. And it was a means of grace that the Lord used to confront me in my sin. Remember your calling. The second thing is, is this. Remember the gift that God has given you. Remember the gift that God has given you. In other words, what I mean by that is, remember the salvation that God has accomplished for you. What did God give you? Himself. Himself through his son and through his Holy spirit. And if God has given himself to you, what more do you need from God? I think as believers in our struggles, when we find ourselves overwhelmed in life, we're like, whoa, is me. Nothing can go. It's going well for me. Everything. I'm getting the short end of the stick. It's this curse that's on me. It's like, yeah, but you forgot what you got in God. You have received this indescribable gift of God freely giving Himself to you through His Son Jesus and His Holy Spirit. You're more blessed than you can ever imagine. But what suffering does, what struggles does, it makes us forget the gift that we've been given. And why is, is Paul, like again, why is Paul, out of all the instructions and all the encouragements, he can tell Timothy. He could have told Timothy, man, Timothy, you've been in ministry for 10 years. You're a good preacher. I have heard you. All the people have complimented you. You're great, Timothy, blah, 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 blah. No, he says, Timothy, remember your calling. Remember the gift that God has given you. Remember it. Don't move from it. And so that's my encouragement for you in your struggles. And I'm not saying your struggles is not real. No, I think your struggle is real. How do you navigate through it? Remember the calling of how the Lord has called you. Remember how the Lord has saved you. And then remember the gift that he's given you. In other words, what he's accomplished for you in your salvation. The means of accomplishing it by giving himself through his son And his Holy Spirit. And then your command. I don't think it's in your notes. Maybe it is. is—is As you remember your calling. As you remember the gift that God has given you. Then, just like Paul tells Timothy. He's now telling you. Exercise it. Put it to work. Don't put it on the shelf. In a glass case where it can collect dust. But exercise it. Fan a flame, keep it alive, rekindle it. And how do you do it? By reminding yourself of it and by sharing it with others.